What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Eastern Edge Hunting Podcast. As always, you are rocking with TJ and Matt. And today, one of our great friends and special guests is back. You've heard him before, Derek from East to West Outdoors. What's going on, Derek? Hey, man. How are you guys? Good, good. You know, living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to kick off, uh, get right back into it with our weekly recap for you guys. Um, and this week... Uh, was a pretty busy week for us, at, at least for me. Um, I had Matt help me set up a uh, my final tree stand at one of my uh, my private properties here in Connecticut. Um, it sucked. It was hot. It was the first time <laughs> I've ever hung a uh, um, a hang on tree stand. You know, I've only done ladders and all and that kind of stuff. So, um, but it, you know, I, I was happy to get it done. Um, Matt pretty much gave me the range yelling at me from the ground but i told him that's how it needs to get you know needs to be done i gotta learn how to do it so, so what do you uh like now that you've set one up you know how do you feel about actually being in it being in it i feel great um i was you know at first skeptical you you saw me up there you know shaking a little bit but matt pretty much stomped the hell out of it when he once we got it up and i mean the thing is solid as solid can be i think there's six ratchet straps just holding the actual platform up. <laughs> <laughs> on one platform no there's not there's not that was exactly <laughs> okay. i think there's three though I yeah, think we just three. Three, yeah so you know in the in the spot that uh that we were in there was really they had some high stem count stuff so there's some like younger underbrush kind of like little little veins of younger underbrush that went through and then there was this massive, like, mature stand of timber. Mm-hmm. So some of these oak trees that were, were great and wanted to be near because obviously they're dropping yeah. um, were just huge. They were, you know, just massive, massive trees. So, you know, we actually had to go get some longer ratchet straps. and Yeah, the ones that came with the stand weren't <laughs> Yeah, they weren't nearly long as enough. Yeah. So we had to go get some extra straps. And, you know, it took us longer. Derek, I mean, we've set up some, some tree stands on massive trees before. And it's really cool to be completely hidden by the tree. But it makes setting it up a little bit more challenging. It was it was a three hour tree stand setup. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you're not doing it the right way, using the harness and leaning back, almost like the lineman setup. If we, did, we did, we did, we did. I didn't know. You did it right. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, Good for you. Good the for you. Uh, safety harness I had, um, I didn't even know that it kind of doubled as a linesman's belt. Yeah, they kind of got so, the hooks off your yeah. hips that allow you to to actually do it the proper way, rather than the. Yep. redneck way like i usually do yeah yep. it was just the challenge was honestly just getting the ratchet straps around the tree the tree was so big yeah but yeah. you know when you're up there he's completely he has something completely in his background so mm. no silhouetting at all that's convenient especially if it's leaning back a little bit and you can take a little snooze yeah it, it is it is <laughs> it's still a little uh it'll take me a little bit of time to get used to it like i said i've never hunted from a hang on tree stand before now did you do climbing stick or did you guys do individual steps getting up there sticks Yep, I did four sets of uh, what are they? Four foot. Yeah, they're about four foot sections. Yeah. So it, it's one one full stick that kind of attaches together, not the individual sections that you're talking about. Okay. So then, what are you? Fifteen, twenty feet up? Fifteen, yeah, sixteen, about 15. fifteen. Yeah. Got it. So I mean, that's my comfort zone. You know, I'm not good with heights either. Well, so and at fifteen feet, there's a big difference from what I've noticed. We've got some stands that are over twenty feet tall, and your angle of attack. On a, on a deer, so to speak, is very different at 21, 22 feet. We have one stand that's that high. Yeah. yeah. First, we have a couple, like, 14-foot ladders, and there's a there's a big difference with your arrow and what you're doing at 14 feet versus 21 feet. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, comfort is 
priority, right? So if you're if you're not comfortable going up past a certain height, then obviously you shouldn't go up past that certain height. You need 100%. to be able to yeah. be comfortable up there as to where you're safe and you feel com- you know you feel like you're you're you can get a good base and actually make good shots, good ethical shots. But for for me, um, I let the terrain kind of dictate the height. So if we need to get up above something, if there's a ridge that comes down the side and I feel like we're at eye level if we're at 15, but the tree is nice and straight and allows us to go up to 20, we got to go up, you know, or or vice versa. Maybe you're in a really, really like high stem count area where it's super thick. And if you go up to 17, 18, 22, now you can only see like this solid canopy of briar patch that you can't get through. Mm -hmm. So sometimes lower is better in those scenarios, you know, just to, be at the crest of that stuff so I, I really think the individual scenario outside of you know comfort being number one but the individual scenario i think is number two in my book as far as setting height on tree stands and that sort of thing i never say you have to be this height and i you know i i saw a post on facebook recently that was um i i, I don't know who the guy was i think it was just in bow hunters of america or something like that and the guy said he only likes to set his tree stands up on the side of hills because he gets up to like that 30 like his tree stand is only 20 feet in the air 15 feet in the air but because he's on a hill he's essentially now 30 feet you know what i mean yeah like yeah but he's only 20 feet in the tree but you know that that distance right. drop but Screw that, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's a steep angle to shoot. 30 feet. That's up there. Well, yeah. it depends. You know, if you're shooting 40, 40, 50 yards, that angle flattens out a little bit more. Or I guess if but he's if also shooting, 10, if he's shooting that ridge that he's climbing up right. on, I guess that's right. That's not nearly yeah, as high. That was think, his... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I think that's why a situation really should should dictate your height. Yeah. You know? And that was his other point, too, was because now he can essentially hunt on top of that ridge or hill, that whole flatland, you know, yeah. where he's only now 10 feet probably above that. Oh, I can see that. Whereas, you know. Yeah, I mean, and from a, a thermal perspective, when you get down to the bottom of a drainage or a hill, you get a lot more swirl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things start, you know, predominant wind directions start fighting against the thermals and you just get this crazy effect down there. It gets really hard to predict your wind direction on a day-to-day basis relevant to the deer movement. Yeah. So sometimes backing up the hill or getting a little bit higher in that drainage where you know the deer are crossing you know a certain way to get around a ditch or something like that yeah um that just helps you be a little bit more predictable and the wind's a little bit steadier on the you know near the top yeah Yeah, height's always going to help the thermal store yeah Mm. so uh so yeah so that was that was my um you know that was that was my week other than that um you know, I, I got a pumpkin spice coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, so that means fall is here. Uh, <laughs> Not even September yet, man. <laughs> no, I'm counting down the days, though. Bear season's um, a, a week away, uh, a week from tomorrow. So Labor Day, I'll be I'll be chasing bear. Uh, I tried to get out this weekend just to do some final scouting. It didn't happen, so I might try to get out one night this week just to check some stuff out. Um, but other than that, you know, it, it, it was – pretty much a light week for me check trail cameras that same day with matt and user error both sd cards weren't you know i didn't, I didn't pull anything off them so i must have left the cameras off and that pissed me off a little bit but <laughs> it is what it is so what about you guys what's going on in your uh your neck of the woods uh, for us we're just really counting down the days uh as soon as you just said that about bear stuff i triple checked my phone and we are 44 days away from 44 our, our days man that's it. October and, uh, first week of October we leave. Um, as soon as September fifteenth hits, dude, it's gonna go by so because you guys are gonna be hunting deer and yeah. then it's just gonna be yep. like elk. 
Boom, yeah, done. yeah. Arguably the best part of the year, and then we're leaving for the best trip of the year. So it's yeah. no, we're awesome. de- we're definitely spoiled with the very beginning parts of our season for yeah. sure. Nice, nice. Now, as far as prep goes, uh, you know, we we talked about your hikes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you guys starting to like intensify now with the dieting? The the you know the are the hikes getting longer? Are the the treks getting harder? What's going on? So. I've actually been, instead of necessarily going longer, I've been trying to push a little harder and a little heavier. Okay. So I've kind of really settled in the fact that um, we do have a longer hike in, so we're going to have a lot of gear that kind of very first day setting up camp. But for the most part, I've kind of whittled down my pack where I should have about anywhere from 25 to 30 pounds of gear on an average day, not counting an all quarter. Mm -hmm. So I've been purposely hiking with 40 and 45 pounds. I've got a state park not far from me where I can do four different loops and they're all right around either five and a half to seven and a half miles. And I've been trying to get them done in under three hours. So it's very different than the style of hiking we're going to be doing out west. We're going to be doing, you know, a couple miles in the morning, getting to a glassing point and then kind of hanging out. Another mile or two, then hang out. So I'm just trying to kick up the intensity via speed. I can't make up for the elevation. I can't make up for... Um, the thinner air in Colorado. So kind of the last variable that I can mess with other than weight is going faster and going harder. So that's kind of been the only big change I've been making with my hiking training, so to speak. What is the highest point like around here? A little over a thousand feet. Like there are, if you go to kind of the Litchfield corner of Connecticut, you can get some stuff. I think, I think Bear Mountain or Bear Peak up in Litchfield is the highest in Connecticut, but Within something drivable that I can do either in an evening or on a Saturday afternoon. Um, it's going to be around you, 20, Yeah, you can probably stretch out to 2,000 feet. Over. But what's interesting about what we have is rather than just being a, like one straight shot to 2,000 feet, you're going up and down and up and down. And one of my buddies who's uh, he's actually a hiking is his thing. He goes all over the country for it. Um, he tracked all the elevation changes at the place I hike all the time. And even though our peak elevations at only like 850 feet, we did like over 3,000 feet of elevation just because you're constantly going up a valley, down a valley, yeah, up a valley. Yeah. And that's what uh, that variation is what I'm hoping is going to help us when we get out west. I got you. Cool. Matt, what about you, brother? Yeah, so kind of like Derek, you know, still continuing to, you know, plug away at the fitness side of things. Yeah. Um, also because we're going during rifle season, we got out and, and shot the rifles last week, which was great. And, you know, for, for us, a lot of the ranges in Connecticut outside of maybe one or two, um, a lot of them cap out at a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I joined one, uh, up in Massachusetts that allows us to stretch out to 300, which is the Springfield sportsman's club. Great, great club. And that's the one I want to join. Yeah. We, <laughs> we went and did that last week and got dialed into 300. Nice. Um, Derek, I know you have, you know, the CDS dial, which was spot on. So just taking, you know, and for those of you that don't know, CDS Loophold makes a custom dial system where basically you click a range, find the range, and literally just turn the turret to the the yardage that your range finder says that you should shoot for and go ahead and pull the trigger. So it makes a lot of the MOA or mil dot guesswork, you know, guesswork, but calculations takes a lot of that out of the equation. That being said, you have to pre-program it, so to speak, for your elevation, your time of year, you know, your average temperature, humidity, that sort of thing. Um, but you can get really, really close. Yeah, it was good. It was interesting. That was the first time I used it. You know, it, it, traditionally, to Matt's point, we 
we've always sighted in 100 yards or even 200 yards and you just make up the difference but this was the first time i've shot out to 300 and just literally seeing how their marketing's right you literally dial up you put it on the three and bang you're done like it's pretty much doing all the math for you um but just knowing that the efficacy out in the field i don't got to worry about it yeah we do use you know we both really like a lot of the loophole loophole optics um and knowing that i've got the total ballistic range range finder that they have that almost I don't want to say it coincides with it because you can use it for bow, you can use it for rifle, you can use it for any of the optics, but literally I can zap something and find out 450 yards and I can go, I can turn it right to 450 and it takes any of the issues out other than windage. Obviously windage is his own thing, yep. um, but just getting comfortable with that. We shot prone, we shot bench, we did a couple different things and shot off the bags. Yeah, we shot off bags. I literally had my pack, I just threw a bunch of weight in my pack because that's what it's going to be like in the field. Yeah, you and never know when one of the shots going to present itself. Exactly, so. and, and we were even joking that kind of one of the next things we got to do is do like 10 burpees, then grab your rifle and be like, I've got 15 seconds for target acquisition and crack around. Because, yeah. listen, any for us, the first time that we're going to be even putting eyes on illegal elk and putting it in your crosshairs, if that doesn't get your motor running, like, what are we doing? Why are we even there? If that's yeah. not getting you jacked up. So kind of going through the paces of actually what it's going to be like out west is the next step in that phase i'd love to find a place that i could shoot 400 yards because that's kind of the number that i've had in my mind of where mentally i feel comfortable i know my gear can do it like my gear will outshoot me all day mm. but uh that's really the last kind of step when it comes to my rifle and my optics for me yeah uh, that's i was going to ask that question like what do you so derek you're comfortable at 400 matt what, what do you think you're yeah right about the same for, yeah. and I think the limiting factor, as Derek mentioned, is us, not the not the equipment. The equipment is dialed in. Um, it's just our ability to practice at some of those ranges even beyond four. Yeah. Here in Connecticut, I, I don't really even know of a range that goes to five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, we might have the opportunity when we get there, uh, barring any travel delays, to you know get the rifles out and, and crack off some rounds at some distance uh, before we actually head up into the timber. There's some ranges in the general area. Yeah. And, you know, so that, that's, that's on the, that's on one of the, the options yeah. <laughs> list, depending on how long things take us when, once we land. But, um, yeah, I would say, you know, three, 400 yards, honestly, like the way that we hunt, we're so used to getting close here in Connecticut. I mean, being bow hunters primarily, uh, we're used to, you know, getting <laughs> closing the distance yeah. as much as we can. Right on top of them. So <clears throat> if we can take some of that tactic and, you know, get within 300 yards, you know that'd be we're super comfortable uh, nice. and if we can at least check what the rounds are doing at 400 before, uh, don't drop out, the mic yeah <laughs> let me get out there um then we'll be good cool well we're on that subject um today before we started this glorious podcast we actually got to shoot our bows for a while and uh i did something today that i've never done before and that is shoot up to and past 40 yards <laughs> way past 40 oh yeah yards way past today. 40 yards thanks to these guys uh matt and derek helped me uh get my pins set up so uh uh i bought a new bear bow from uh just a sporting goods store locally a couple of years ago and uh, it's only been tuned to 20 25 yards and that's been my comfort zone you know for pretty much since i started bow hunting and uh today derek's backyard um uh, goes pretty far we actually got up to 90 
90 was it 90 on, on the dot yeah on the nose, pretty much yeah. yeah today we say nay day nay nay to 25 yards yeah yeah so uh yeah nay, nay. they uh we pu- pushed my limits that's for sure these guys you guys are dialed in pretty much to 50 right yeah i mean you guys were solid 50, at 50. 60 yeah. yards yeah so very cool i hit the target at 90 i was pretty happy about that i did end up losing uh one for one man you're back yeah. a thousand yeah, 90 yeah yards. Thousand. uh so yeah i mean it was a blast like i said matt I got my pins dialed up. I'm shooting pretty comfortable up until about 40 yards. 50 got a little um, scraggly, but I was we were there. I was there. Yeah. You know, you guys. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple objectives. I think you've been going through this process of, you know, reconfiguring your bow a little bit. Yeah. You know, and that definitely. started probably, I don't know, two or three weeks ago at least now. Uh, yeah, if, up to a month. I mean, the first time me and you, re- when you came over to record a podcast and we were shooting out back and, you know, starting to tune it. I'd say it about a month ago, yeah. So, and, and I think that's where I noticed the change is starting to happen. Yeah. You yep. know, so we, we made some quick adjustments to your form. Yeah. And then when we made those adjustments and you started consistently hitting the same anchor point, consistently mm-hmm. grabbing the bow the same way and, and squeezing the trigger the same way, you know, I, we started to notice, hey, wait, this bow is not exactly set up for yeah, you yet. You yeah. know, we needed, you needed to tweak the draw length, right? Yep. Yep. And yeah, exactly. And, and it wasn't because it was just right change. out of the, pe- you know, right out of the store. Um, so, yeah, so I went down to uh, our local bow shop, Hall's Arrow in uh, Manchester, Connecticut. Big shout out to them. Um, they do a lot of great work. Uh, they're one of the what, biggest bow um, yeah, they've been around one of the longest. I think they're one of the longest shops in terms of being around in New England. But yeah, I they, think they're one of the biggest distributors too, or something like that. Yeah, in, they, in they, definitely in Hoyt. They sell Hoyt, yeah, everybody: yeah, Hoyt, Hoyt, Matthews, Mission, Bear, PSC, Elite. But yeah, they've like they do everything from target to hunting. Yeah, everything in yep. between. They they've got some legit shooters from the Olympic level to legit hunters in New England. Yeah, um, it's a great great little shop. Um, right in the heart of Manchester, so. I went down there, and I, I'll tell you what, th- this guy, uh, Thomas, was great. <laughs> he stuck with me for, I was, Christ, I was probably there for two hours. And, um, you know, I went in there like a rookie, like I've never shot before, and I was like, listen, man, I need this thing tuned up. He went through the whole thing, tuned the whole bow up, adjusted my draw length. I mean, I had him change my peep sight probably three or four times. I know the guy wanted to kill me, but... He stuck with me. We got the right peep sight, the right size, the right draw length, bought new arrows, went through the whole thing. And I, I mean, it's even you said it today, man. I mean, it, you know, I'm shooting way better. Oh, I put, like not even close, not even yeah. close to the same. I mean, I would like, if I had to put a, like a percentage on it, I mean, I would, I would say like you've, you've doubled your accuracy. Yeah. I mean, we, in four I, we weeks. Were, I was shooting through fletchings, not to toot my own horn, but it's you, the second time it, it's happened. You did. You I was didn't pretty even excited. Nick a you shot, shot right through, through a fletching. And, and that think, was on purpose. No, I'm just. And kidding. I think here's here's where it stood out the most to me today. You yeah. know, so y- you've shot 25 consistently, based you know, and that that's not because you didn't want to shoot farther. Really, that was just the setup and what you had opportunity to practice at. You mm-hmm. know, uh, on a consistent basis. So today. We come here and we set a thirty, a forty, and a fifty-yard pin mm-hmm. with yeah. in probably like twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes, less than a half hour for sure. Yeah, less yeah. than a half an hour. And all of the groups, even though the pins weren't sighted in right off the bat, all of the groups were tight. So it made it very easy to just adjust the pins at that point and get you dialed in really quickly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, kudos to you for spending the time 
taking the extra steps, making sure your setup was really dialed in and making those adjustments. And now, well, thank you to you guys for helping me, you know, and now you're shooting, you know, almost double what you were a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Cause yeah. if I, cause if I remember right, from what I've heard, you were only comfortably shooting 25 ish top. Right? Yeah. Top. Yeah. yeah. And to the fact that you were cracking rounds at, or cracking arrows at 50 yards left and right. And, not only hitting bag, but hitting kill zone size plates yeah. often. Yeah. It's, it was, great. it's a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you, you've done in the last month, you've done a lot of work to get there, but yeah. it's, it's showing. I mean, yeah. it showed today. Yeah, for sure. Well, definitely. I appreciate, you know, all the help you guys did um, today and for the past month. And, and uh, definitely guys go down if you're from the area or even, you know, from a little ways out looking for a new bow shop to go to halls. Highly recommend it. I believe all you guys, you know, you guys all yeah, know. It's all, all kind of All of us go us. to halls. So <clears throat> check them out. Um, now back like on to tuning our bows. How often are you like, you guys are tuned and ready to go. You guys are doing a lot of stuff yourself, Matt. I know you do a lot of stuff yourself. Do you guys find yourself going to the bow shop still for for any reason or what what do you guys yeah great question um uh, i won't say like i'll go often but like for instance i was actually there a couple weeks ago it was time for new strings and cables for me yeah um I'm, down halls or where yeah i was yeah. down halls yep yeah i went down and saw roxy down the halls and she was kind of helping me up I, I have a slightly older bow um my bow is a 12 a 2012 that i bought in 2013 it was like a leftover um so they don't have any strings in stock for me <laughs> um they had a custom order set but um but they will have them here before season but they will have them here this week yeah it'll be done by friday but um i probably go down at least once a season i like to have them give it a once over they'll check the timing of the cam just to make sure that yeah. all that in and out in the truck and hanging from a string on the like uh, on your stand to make sure nothing's either been tweaked or detuned so to speak i know the site's good but uh i don't go down there a ton unless i'm gonna order new arrows or if i think they gotta check something out because i think something feels off yep yeah yeah i would say um i i probably go down a couple times a year but sometimes it's just to go shoot on an indoor range or to go shoot their dart room like their their video screen room yeah 3d which is pretty cool um and that's just for fun just to change it up a little bit and then definitely once a year i have a professional a true professional look look at the bow I always do, you know, I mean, like I feel comfortable that I could find major mistakes and I, I would know when my bow is out of tune, but you know, these people do do this as a living for a living every single day. They see, you know, like Eric said, Olympic level, you know, setups and people that really dialed in and, you know, it's just a peace of mind to have them take, you know, five minutes and say, Hey, can you, you know, just run this through, take a look at it. Tell me if you think anything's off. It feels good to me, but just double check me. And, yeah. and they always do. You know, the level of customer service down there is top notch. And to your point, you were just talking about how you were down there for hours. And that's not a rarity for them. Yeah. Like I've, I've per- personally witnessed people do the exact same thing and they never fret about it. They never sweat over it because they know that uh, the fact that I don't want to call it a niche sport, but for the lack of a better phrase, it is that it's a it's a relationship that you're building with those guys they're working on your bow Hands and you're going to bring yeah. it back to them because you feel comfortable with the fact that they help you set it up and they do remember people they know they know you by, by face if not by name yeah and uh they have no problem helping you out and spending all that time to make sure that you're comfortable and you're set up the way you need to be because yep. if they sell you a bow or even work on your bow and it's not right 
A, you're going to probably struggle with the sport and not want to be there long term, but odds are you're not going to want to come back to them. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, too, I mean, they – Thomas, I, there was some other kid working there. Thomas, the guy who was helping me, there must have been at least 10 or 12 other customers that came in, you know, for the couple hours I was there. And he, you know, being the guy on the counter, being the guy out tuning bows, doing whatever, you know, he had to stop, you know, help me. He got me to a point where I was comfortable shooting. Or he said, here, take a couple shots with this new peep site, and then you go help, you know. So it's they go way out of their way. Helping everybody, getting everybody in and out in a timely fashion, and then they do remember you. I was back there Monday, and maybe because I was just a little bit of a pain in the ass, but I mean, he was like, "Hey, what's up, man?" He was there, and uh, same thing. He helped me kind of fine tune a little more issues uh, that I was having, and I was, I mean, I was good to go since then. So, um, now, oh, go ahead, man. No, say this that brings up like a, a good point. Um, and I don't know if I mean I caught it. So you said you went in, you had your bow work done, and then you came back. And you had to do some fine tuning. Yeah. And then today we did a little bit more fine tuning. Yeah. And I just want to make sure people are hearing that out there and realize that if you're a new archer, don't expect to pull a bow out of a box or even go buy one at a store. Have the initial setup set up to you and then never have to change it. It's yeah. not a rifle. It's, no. it's, you know, it's a really, I mean, we, you know, you said it, but again, I don't know if everybody picked, anybody picked up on it. It's a journey and kind of like setting a tree stand in a new area. It might yep. take a couple of years to find like that killing tree, that one tree that really is the spot on the spot. Yep. Same thing kind of with your archery setup. It sometimes takes a little while because you evolve as a shooter from, you know, maybe of never picking up a bow before to now really dialing in your grip, really dialing in your anchor point. And every time on an archery setup you do that, you change one thing, everything changes. Oh, yeah. It affects yeah, we everything found that out, else. <laughs> so, you know, if, if there's anybody out there that's new, just practice, practice, practice. Don't get discouraged. And don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated if it's not perfect out of the box. You know, you know, I've been doing this for, geez, I don't even know how many years now. Well, probably close to 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So you just patience with yourself, patience with your gear, be analytical about it, and and ask some people for help if, if you're fortunate enough to have some experienced archers around you. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is practice. I mean, you can't go, if you expect to kill a deer and you're not shooting your bow all summer and then you pick it up a week before hunting season, I'm guilty of it, you know, but then I'm hitting a buck, you know, in a gut. It was like last year, yeah. you know, and it, and it kills me. It kills you. You feel horrible. You feel like shit. And, but it, you didn't put the time in. Lesson learned. Yeah. Yep. The hard you know, way, unfortunately, but oh, lesson yeah. learned. Now that's that animal had to suffer. I felt like a piece of crap for the entire season, um, and it's just it's it's not worth it at the end of the day. So take the time, shoot your bow every single day if you're you know if you're into it every couple of days if you if you can do it, but you know at least once a week. But it brings up an interesting point, like how much then do you practice? And and I think a lot of people almost envision. Like, for instance, I'll just take golf for an example. Mm. You got to pack your clubs in your car. You got to go to a driving range, buy a bucket of balls, sit there for an hour, like dissect every shot. And I, I just think the barrier to entry is so much lower for archery because if, if you're lucky enough that you have at least a backyard, you can shoot to 30 yards, right? And yeah. I know in New England, that's more than effective killing range. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you don't have to be out there for an hour until your shoulder, until your shoulder is sore. You can literally just make a goal, be like, I'm going to shoot 50 arrows today. 
and I'm going to shoot 50 arrows now for a month in a row, whether it's four days a week, five days a week, whatever it is. And you can shoot 10 groups of five arrows and be done in 20 minutes. Yeah. Truly, you can be done in 20 minutes. Yeah. And whether then you start setting in your muscle memory and you start setting in, you start actually developing strength in the back of your shoulder to hold that point. And then you can start messing around with, I'm going to draw and I'm going to hold for 20 seconds before I let it fly. Yeah. And then yeah. I can draw and let it hold for 30 seconds. You know, the first time that I did the, the delay release, so to speak, or whatever you want to call it, I was like, oh, I can hold for a minute, no problem. And at like 15 seconds, looking at my watch, I'm like, oh my God, this is massive compared to just pulling back, go, pulling back, go. Yeah. Yeah, so that's your more real world application, right? You, you, you draw when that buck's head is either down or behind a tree. And like they always do, they, they step you know, in the thickest, nastiest stuff and you have to wait for them to clear, <laughs> to clear it <laughs> before you can actually release that arrow. Yeah. So you, that's a good, a good tidbit, Derek, is to, you know, once you get comfortable with your, your standard form, let's call it, to then add some tweaks into your practice. Yeah. So sitting down, right? Sitting down and at a perpendicular. Mm -hmm. What if you have to draw between your legs? because of the angle that you're at or the yeah. deer comes in and you miss it because it came in real, real quiet and now it's underneath your tree. Mm. Uh, changing your elevation. If you have an opportunity to set up a stand in your backyard or somewhere where you can practice and practice bending at the waist instead of, you know, the common, if you, if you have shot you taught from, me that today, <laughs> yeah, if you've shot from steep elevation, you'll know that it's, it's very easy to have your anchor point start to do weird things and drop or come away from your face if you have steep angle shots. So you have to practice really locking that in and only bending up or down, you know, yeah. depending on whether you're shooting downhill extreme angle or mm -hmm. shooting, you know, up onto a ridge, depending on, you know, the terrain, like if you're out west or something, um, all of that motion should happen at the hips, at the waist. Yeah. So little things like that after you've kind of set your pins in and you set your standard form in to practice, you know, cause you don't want to have to stand up in your tree stand every single time to shoot. Yeah. I actually prefer to sit sitting down if I can, like obviously the situation is going to dictate that if I either got to get up over a limb or if I got to stand up to do whatever. Um, but that's also practice. Like I've found over the years, whether sitting on a stool or sitting in a tree stand, it almost mimics the same thing that it just helps me get locked in. My whole lower body's quiet. And, uh, we were just talking about Hall's Archery and your 3D, um, shooting the 3D room. They do a league over there, and Matt and I did it one year. And I found that the first two weeks I was standing, and I was like so inconsistent. And I was just like, I'm going to shoot this week sitting down. And all of a sudden, everything came right in. And like that's, <laughs> and so that's now I know. Like all things being equal, if I have the choice, I'm not going to get. I'm not going to sit up if I can draw, and let that arrow fly on a deer, unless I have to. I'm yeah. Sit down as much as I can. I think, I mean, and, and I'm sure everyone's heard people say this, but, sh and you said it too, when uh, you were talking about shooting your, your rifle, is shoot in the gear that you're going to hunt in, because you're not going to yeah. be hunting in, well, I mean, you might be, but you're not going to be hunting in shorts and a t-shirt all year. Right. You know? Yep. That's last, a good point. Yeah, last year, it, it, that same, uh, you know, I was shooting in my rain suit, it, I was drenched, soaked. I never practiced in the rain, never practiced in my rain suit and, you know, didn't practice a lot in general. And here I, you know, yeah. there I was that day. So even wearing gloves, like everything, in terms yeah. of what the glove does to your release and the grip on your bow and yep. so many factors at play. You know, when we first bought uh, our very first ground blind, 
I remember setting it up in the backyard and shooting through the windows of the ground blind. Yep. Because a lot of these ground blinds say, hey, you, you know, you have these shoot-through windows, mm-hmm. and we shoot mechanical broadheads. So I'm like, I don't trust I always them. wondered about that. Yeah, too, I'm like, I don't, I don't trust this advertising, <laughs> right? But lo and behold, it didn't. they didn't open up. Yeah. They shot right through. Yeah, nothing changed at but 30 yards. I, I would have never trusted that without doing it and seeing it and you know mm. with my own two eyes and practicing it i would have never trusted that with that was a fun day yeah <laughs> when i br- when i bought my first ground blind i unzipped the whole thing and just left it down the same thing i was too afraid to shoot through the blind i but, figured it would deflect my arrow yeah. somehow or but it's even shooting through the windows is different we had a, a buddy of ours do you put it right up to the so that's you know? so that's that's funny that you say that so we had a buddy of ours that didn't practice through a ground blind but Uh-oh. He was a new a new guy to our group, and anytime we have a new kind of like a new member to our gun club or to our group, we try to get them in front of deer as quick as possible. If they've never shot a yeah. deer before, we try to you know give that guy like a little bit of priority to say, "Hey, man, like welcome to the sport. Let's get you on some deer and do our very best to to get him some action." Yeah. So we did. We put this guy in the ground blind, which was red hot, and sure enough, he had a deer come out it was like thirty yards, and because he hadn't practiced in the ground blind literally went right below the window through the ground blind and arrow deflected and missed the deer. So you, what do you mean? It went, so like he, he missed, he missed the window, missed completely? the window oh my God. hit low. He went through like maybe an inch below the window, went through the ground blind, like the Ooh. fabric yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. the shoot rather Which, than the window, like that actual fabric, that yeah, the actual fabric of the blind. Whose so ground blind was it? Your it was our blind. Oh. It, was it was like a, gr- it was a group blind. Yeah. It was yeah. like a two inch hole or three inch hole, whatever. It wasn't big. So yeah. he didn't put it right up against the window is what you're saying. No, he didn't. He was <laughs> shot. He was sitting back, you know, he's a longer link your guy. So he was sitting back in the blind a little bit and between nerves and all of that like just everything kicked in and he went through the material of the blind and deflected it and that was probably his one of two opportunities that he had that year to shoot a deer really yeah Ooh, that so must have killed him <laughs> last year he ate tag soup unfortunately sometimes that happens is that his only property that he hunts uh that i know of yeah no. yeah on with his job uh it's almost like before the clocks change that he the early season like really sets up well for him where he can hunt. Yeah. But then he can't get it early. He's at work right. super early in the morning. So by the time the clocks change where we love the mornings, he can't do it. He's got to be at work too early where yeah. literally he just doesn't, ha- he can't even steal an hour. Like he yeah, physically can't yeah. do it. That's So, I mean, that's, you know, not to, not to really shed light on him, but that's a really big lesson learned. And just for everybody in general that, Yes, you have to practice. You have to kind of shoot in your standard form. And then you really have to start thinking outside of the box what type of, of hunting situations you're going to be in and get out of your comfort zone and do things that mm-hmm. you may not think now are going to happen, but very well could happen in the stand based on a situation. And you don't mm-hmm. want a lack of practice to, to lead to tag soup. Well, even the whole distance thing like we were shooting today, I mean, you're already talking about going on an archery elk next, next year. year. Yep. And those, yeah, and those could be, you know, how, who knows how long it shots. I'm hoping it's like three yards. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And his <laughs> massive bull is like. I want to touch it. Yeah, it's like screaming and drooling in my face is what I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> As it knocks on your tent at 6.15 in the morning. I'm hoping, right. I'm, I'm hoping I become that good of a caller. That just ready to, I actually ready don't to have die. to. Worry. We're coming for you, Corey Jacobson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not yet. But you heard it here first. Someday, maybe. Someday, maybe. I, I could hope to be as good as he is. But, uh, 
That was some starless right there. <laughs> yeah, but no, no, but on, on your point, like, yeah, we were kind of, I don't want to say we were joking about it because we're serious that we were shooting out to 90 yards. We are not shooting deer at 90 yards in New England. No. Like, it's just, no. it's not happening. I was scared to shoot it just in the backyard at a target. I wouldn't Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Matt's always kind of said, and I don't know if it's like a, an old hunter's tale or whatever, but like shoot twice your range is what Matt's always said. Um, my gear doesn't allow for that. <laughs> but, um, but we do try to shoot at distance because, listen, if you can get proficient at 60 or 65 yards or whatever it is, it's going to make that 18-yard shot, that 22-yard shot, even that 30-yard shot like going to feel easier. You're going to be way more confident. And at the end of the day, the last thing you need to be thinking about is, I don't like this shot or I don't feel comfortable at 30 yards because that should be muscle memory. You should be drawn back going through your shot process, picking your spot on the deer, and as soon as everything's good, letting it rip. And if you're even thinking about your confidence at that point, in my opinion, no you shouldn't even yeah. take that shot. Right. Yeah, I like agree. You shouldn't. I agree. And, you know, the the practicing at distance, it does. It, says, it seems crazy, right, to say, yeah, we shot at 90 yards today. And there's people that are doing it longer, you know, farther than that. Oh, yeah. way further. But to... Sometimes the gear, the gear has become so good today. You know, the technologies have are so, so good versus even where they were 10 years ago mm. that sometimes it takes backing up to 50, 60, 70 and beyond to start seeing your mistakes. Yep. You might have some little variation at 20 and 30, but you really sometimes don't see the big mistakes until you get farther back. And yeah. it, it teaches you to, you know not drop that bow arm after you release the shot and not, you know, focus so much in your, your, you know, trigger finger. If you're using a, a wrist release, you know, it, it really has you just focusing on staying in that shot the whole entire way until that arrow hits the target. And you might not see that, you know, that on the target at, like I said, at 20 or 30. So one other big difference, um, between our sites. So that I noticed today is I shoot a single pin. Yeah, you guys, you boys are single open boys. We love them. Yeah, and kind of related to that distance game, when I'm looking at a smaller target at 90 yards, that single pin takes up so much less space in that site housing. I, I love it. That was actually the main reason why I changed is I remember when I got back into the sport, I was kind of um, – I didn't have a ton of money, so I kind of bought a bow package. I bought a Hoyt bow package, and the site that it came with was like a, a nice site. There was nothing wrong with it. It was a five-pin site. Um, but I remember even in the store, I was like, I'm only seeing like half the target, and the target's at 20 yards. And so at that time, I was new to the sport. I wasn't shooting beyond 30 yards, so I dropped the bottom two pins all the way down. And I was like, I'm not even going to bother with 40 and 50. And I did this spread with just uh, my 20. I, and I, at that time, I did a 25 and a 30-yard pin because I wasn't drawing a ton of, I wasn't pulling a ton of draw weight. And uh, even still, like, deer would come in. And, for instance, if he's coming in right to left, two-thirds of his body, I couldn't even see what yeah, was up. Yeah. And I remember seeing a couple companies, specifically HHA and Spot Hog at the time, were the big two brands that had the single pins. And with that one little tiny fiber optic coming up out of the bottom, for my eyes specifically, it just, I can see the whole animal. I can kind of 
figure out what lane I want to shoot through. I kind of am getting a much bigger picture. It just yep. relaxes my vision. I don't feel like I'm trying to squint to figure out exactly what I want to hit. Mm. And it just, for some odd reason, I feel like it just relaxes the whole sequence and doesn't make me fret about what am I missing in my optics. Trying to think too much. Like, which pin am I going to I just bear, I literally That's just what bury that optic yeah. right where I want it to be. You know, I've always been told, my old man was like, shoot for the off leg. I want to try to shoot where the arrow's going to exit, not necessarily where I want yep. it to enter. And so I'm always just trying to bury that to be where I want it. And usually more often than not, with that huge housing in a single pin, I can watch that whole arrow fly without even moving my bow and just watch it hit target yeah. the whole time. Where with a multi-pin, I've... Yeah. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. I might have to upgrade next year because shoot, and I both I shot both of their bows today. Think, it, was, right? it was nice. I mean, you know, like you guys said, you see the whole target. It, I mean, it was different because it's the first time I've ever shot a single pin, and I only did it twice. And it was at ninety. But, yeah, it was at, it was Here, at ninety shoot, yards. Shoot but. a new bow with a new release <laughs> and a new sight. I did have one way way rogue arrow that I think pretty much flew over Derek's house, but. It is what it is. I didn't hit anything but the ground. No animals were harmed in the filming yeah. of this None, video. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But uh, but yeah, no. It, it, I mean, it was cool. It, it was cool to try out one of the new bows or different bows and uh, the different sights. So I think uh, yeah, next year all the time we put into tuning this one. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, changing no, this I year. wouldn't change this year, especially how close you are to the season. I wouldn't change. Yeah, anything. no way. Um, one thing you know, because so we're looking at doing we're doing rifle elk this year. Next year will be archery elk, and. I am probably going to look for a two pin site next year, but a single post. So hmm. meaning like the the single pin design, but with a second dot on it. I've never even heard of that. That's crazy the amount yeah. of shit they have out. <laughs> and if I can't find one that I like, I will just literally take a whiteout pen and, give, and, make it yourself. and give myself a 40 yard reference when I have my pin at 20. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say that because yeah, we've talked about next year archery elk and one of the, one of the new technologies that came out was Garmin created a bow site where it's a range finding oh, yeah, yeah, bow yeah. site and it is stupid expensive. Yeah, it's, it's like, like grand. It yeah, is. Yeah, bucks, right? yeah, they're not they're not cheap. But what's interesting about it is assuming it's legal in your state, not all states it is. A majority of states right. it's fine, but like really? not all states. Like, yeah, not all yeah. states it's legal. Huh. Um was it like out west like I'm assuming out yeah, west? Yeah, so or? I mean I think lighted knocks are still I I, I There could, are some states that lighted yeah. knocks aren't allowed, yeah. Yeah, there's some I don't know why. Still don't but, lighted knocks. But what's cool about the site is it's a range finding bow site where it allows you with a single trigger as you're at full draw, so you don't have to manipulate anything. You can have that. It's not even a real pin. It's actually like a, a laser that projects it on a piece of glass or a, or whatever that's getting reflected back to you where it simplifies everything. So you don't even have to worry about ranging and then dragging your bow. Right. You can draw range and it, calibrates the the fiber optic dot that you're seeing to whatever the range is hmm. so there's actually no physical pin that you're seeing in the bell housing just a red dot site it's just yeah it's more than that though like there's actually a piece of glass that gets reflected at you i think so, that kind of takes the fun out of it though like honestly not for me because what about the range find like the it's combining two, it's technologies, combining in two technologies into one it's, yeah, it's literally true. like there are are other companies that you can do a mounted rangefinder on your bow yeah. and then you draw and like there are some sites that have multi pins but this literally is thrown them both into one and if if i can take a step out of the if i can take a step out of my process but also not have to worry about the multi-pin thing uh it, it may be worth you know it what it's me. like it's like the burris eliminator scope when that first came out 
So the Burris Eliminator scope was really the same same idea. It was one of the early rifle scopes that hit the the production market that allowed you to press a button on the side of the scope and yeah. it populated a dot at the range or, or your crosshairs at the range and that's what you would shoot instead of again two-step process mm-hmm. click a range finder dial up your scope mm. so that was you know i think i'm like the burst limiter three now but it's same, same idea but now they moved it over to the archery realm yeah well that's i mean that's i don't know if i'll drop 1200 bucks on a yeah range i don't finder. know i don't I know bought my range finder either. for like 80 bucks man it's, <laughs> it's pricey but if you start adding in like a like you can buy nice single pin sites i think like the hj kingpin like they're top of the line is like three, three to four hundred yeah. bucks and then when you add in a decent rangefinder for four hundred bucks, yeah, you're like you're at anyway. you're at eight hundred dollars right there. And yeah. again, if you're eliminating gear, don't get me wrong, it, it's crazy expensive. Yeah. But you know, I also I'm in this sport for longevity. I'm not doing this just for the next two years. So if I can, but buy, how often are you gonna change your bow? Like how I'm long? Not, if I were to do that, that would be my my sight going forward. You obviously, would just, assuming yeah, keep it off. when it's legal, right? Yeah, yeah. like right. Connecticut, it'd be fine. Whatever state we would go to, obviously, I'd only be buying if it were legal. So it's legal in Connecticut. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. It would not be, or there's no legislation against it. I should say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they've gotten that far. There's no legislation against it, but if I were to pull that trigger, that would be my my go-to setup yeah. everywhere. It would be pretty sick. It would be. Yeah, I mean, there's nice new tech, little... new technologies every year. Yeah. You know? It's only gonna get now that that's out. It's only gonna get better and. Yep, better exactly. and better. Every Just year, wait for so. something to shoot your arrow for you. Yeah. No, that's no. what's next. <laughs> nope. nope, that's like self-driving cars, man. It takes yeah. all the fun. No, Tesla, wanna... Tesla is gonna make. That. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta pull my own trigger back. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry, San Francisco, but don't take that away from me. <laughs> I'll stick with my four-pin, Dick Sporting Goods special. Hey, it long. works, hey, man. If it kills deer, who gives a shit? Well, yeah, this year's your year, it. man. You're, I, I, I can already feel it. Uh, hey. I just want a nice wall hanger, man. I mean, I'm blessed, you know, ble- I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Last year I took a deer, I'm blessed. But, um, yeah, man, I just want, you know, it's not going for trophies, but that's everyone's end goal. So, I think you're going to have a good year. I don't know if, if it's going to be a wall hanger year or not because we didn't get to take a look at any of the pictures on that no. piece. But I think you've put yourself in a position now with a couple of new sand setups and extending your range and dialing your archery equipment, I think yeah. you're going to be able to harvest more deer this year. I hope I, so, man. I don't want to hex you, but I actually, I don't want it to be a trophy year for you only because if you're this asshole, is, man. if this is, wow. no, <laughs> this turns south. I was going to say you look blah, like Bradley Cooper, blah, but your hair blah. sucks, man. <laughs> but no, the reason I say that is, is I was listening to a podcast earlier about there was this guy who's now working with Brian Call from the Gritty Bowman, and the guy's like a lifelong hunter, and he was saying that one of the best things that helped him kill bigger bull elk was his years of experience accumulation yeah, shooting raghorns yeah. and smaller elk, yeah. where he's like, I felt like this got me ready for it, where if my first or second year out, if a, a 380 bull walked out in front of me, he would have been crap in his pants yeah so yeah that's a good point i don't want to sit here and say that no man don't don't shoot any deer (laughs) you suck you're dumb i hate you um but no like get that experience shooting a deer at 35 yards which you haven't done before get shooting one at 40 so when that big boy does walk in front of you at 28 it's muscle memory you don't think twice about it and you let it rip especially with the new stand setup too i mean that's gonna be it's gonna be money completely different i mean if you saw the my ladder stand location compared to this stand location Mm -hmm. it's it's completely different yeah. yeah yeah so um 
I'm excited. Derek, I understand what you're saying 100% too. So. Yeah. I'm not trying to be an ass. I'm still going for that wall hanger. Though. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. Perfect. <laughs> so, but I think that about wraps it up for today, guys. Uh, we touched on a bunch of good points. Um, I'm a little tight for time today, so we had to cut it short at about 45 minutes. But we will be back next week. Um, as always, Derek, thank you for uh, checking in with us again today. We appreciate you opening up your home, letting us shoot back here, and having all that fun stuff uh, go down. Um, guys, drop some knowledge on them. Tell, them. tell them where they can find you. Yeah, see, thanks, thanks, TJ and Derek. Appreciate you coming on again. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Matt underscore E2W Outdoors and our Facebook and YouTube channel. Just search East to West Outdoors. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate this. But uh, Instagram's at D-E-R McDermott. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on the same East to West Facebook that matters. So uh, look for us. 45 days, you're going to see a, a big 6 by 6 on that Facebook page. <laughs> you, you wait. <laughs> there you go. And as always, guys, you can find me at Killstream Outdoors across all social media platforms, YouTube, and all that good stuff. Um, and just stay tuned every week. The Eastern Edge Hunting Podcast Every Wednesday, we're bringing you guys new episodes. So tune into that, and we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.